0: She came home from college. She was in her room, and she was filling up bags and bags and bags, like 20 garbage bags full of clothes. And I said, Jamie, what are you doing? What are you throwing all your clothes with? You need some of this stuff. I can't buy all new clothes.
1: And that's when Rita Nicola knew something was up with her daughter, Jamie. This is Reckonings. I'm Stephanie Lepp, and today we are reckoning with the experience of having someone who you thought was your daughter, or your son, become your son, or your daughter. We'll be talking to two mothers who have struggled to accept their transgender children, and using their stories as a window into what might help other parents, and other people more broadly, overcome transphobia. Our first mother is Rita. Rita who was raised Catholic in a small town in Italy. She was taught that sex was a shameful thing and inherited a very rigid understanding of gender. Rita and her husband live in New Jersey, where they have four kids. Their youngest is Jamie. That same year that Jamie bagged up her clothes, she came home from college for Easter. It was the day before Easter, which was Saturday. I was doing dishes, and she was sitting uh, in
0: the kitchen, and she says, Mom, I stopped doing the dishes and come and sit down. So I sat down and she grabbed both of my hands. She held my hands. She says, "I have something to tell you." She said, "I, I, I like girls." I said, "What are you talking about?" Well, I'm, I, I'm gay. And I started to cry, hysterical cry myself because, you know, uh what are the people going to say? What is my family going to say? I was crying because the world is so cruel.
1: Two years later, Jamie was back home again from college.
0: We were sitting on the deck. We are laying on an amic and both sideways. And he said to me, Mom, uh, I think I don't feel like a girl, even though I have you know, the genital to be a woman, but I feel like a man. I, I kind of yelled, I could accept being gay, but I can't accept, now you want to be a boy. How's that going to happen? I said, you're going to be uh, always a girl. You're going to look like a girl. So you want to be a boy, but you can't because you were born with a vagina. How are you going to be a boy? You know, I was so crazy about it. I said, now, you, now that's too much. I can't take this. Uh, I'm, I'm okay with you being gay, but this is too much. Um, I started to get depressed, I was crying. Hmm. So, I saw I I couldn't understand. Yeah. It's like I I still can't talk about it. i okay Um because I couldn't understand. I said, Why do you want to be a boy? You're a beautiful girl. I didn't want to have another child. My fourth child, I really didn't want it because I had my old three kids. I was done. I was back at work. I had a nice life. When I found that I was pregnant with her, I was devastated. I cried for two months straight because I didn't want to have the baby. But I had the baby and that's what I thought. Maybe I did something wrong because I was so upset when I first found out I was pregnant that maybe I caused something to happen to her. Did I do something wrong? Did I, did I let her dress too much like a boy? Did I not see something? Did I work? I should have been home. Then I I stopped. And I said, God, you need to help me. And I said, God, why, why did this happen? Why, why is this? I don't understand. You need to make me understand. So I got pregnant with her when I was 37. And the doctor wanted to do... I test to see if there was Down syndrome, but the doctor said to me, if you do this test, there's a chance that you're going to miscarry the baby. And I said, well, no matter what, what's wrong with the baby, I'm going to keep the baby because I don't believe in getting rid of a baby because it's not born the way I want. And then a little voice inside me said, you remember when you said that, no matter what, 20 years later, you... You have, and 20 years later, this, no matter what you said, so now, did you really mean that, or did you just say those words for nothing? Well, if you really mean it, then you know that James was born for a special reason, and that's been my, my, my saving grace, and uh, from that moment on, I said, I need to really help my son, not because of anything that I feel, it's because... Well, she needs me. She needs me to love her no matter what. Just like I said at the beginning of her life.
1: The LGBT Center's Leadership Lab studies how to move public opinion on LGBT rights. And through a lot of canvassing, they've learned what works. Which is not giving people information about LGBT discrimination, or questioning people's sense of empathy, but simply asking people questions about themselves, and letting them come to their own conclusions. So, for example, on the issue of gay marriage, Do you know anyone who's gay? Oh, your cousin's gay. What's your relationship like with your cousin? Oh, you do the holidays together every year and your kids love him and his boyfriend too. Oh. Are you married? Tell me a little bit about your marriage. Oh, Your marriage is one of the most important things in your life. Does your cousin know how you voted on gay marriage? How do you think he'd feel if he found out? And suddenly this person who loves his gay cousin and loves his marriage looks inside himself and realizes he's not living his own values. And in a matter of minutes, he changes his views on gay marriage in a sustained way. The Leadership Lab has these conversations on video, and they are incredible to watch. And Reckonings will be inviting you on an expedition to canvas with the Leadership Lab to learn how to have these transformative conversations. So stay tuned for that. For Rita, it wasn't a conversation with a Leadership Lab canvasser, but a conversation with God. But by the same token, she didn't have to be aggressively persuaded to accept Jamie because she already had acceptance inside of her. She simply needed to look inwards and rediscover her vow to love her child no matter what. But Rita still struggled with fear for Jamie. Six months before Jamie came out as trans at his university, Rutgers, a freshman named Tyler Clementi was cyberbullied about his homosexuality and committed suicide. It could have been my son, could have been my daughter killing herself, himself.
0: He's not gone, like Clementine. And at least I have a chance to tell her I love her. I'm still scared. I'm still scared how people are going to treat him. I'm scared that if he's in a club and, and somebody's ignorant about trans people or gay people, that they might
1: hurt him. I pray for him every single day. It's an ongoing fear for me. And even though Rita didn't lose her child... She's still mourning the loss of the child she thought she had. I felt like I lost my daughter uh, because I had all these plans that are doing different things with her.
0: I would never go shopping for a wedding dress or, you know, things like that that you don't even think about, but then all of a sudden they hate you. My daughter is no longer daughter. It's my son. It doesn't change my love for her. Yeah, but it's just, it feels like a loss of a child. You have to shift all your thoughts and all your dreams, your dreams of them having a child. And that, 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 that was taken away from me and from her. I thought she would give me a grandchild. And then they started these shots without even discussing it with me. So it was too late for her to save her eggs.
1: Oh, yeah.
0: To to have a child. I said, Jamie, you should have came to me before you started the shots. I can't, we can't do anything about it now.
1: Would Jamie have wanted to say? Yes,
0: Jamie cried. Jamie cried. Jamie doesn't cry. And I couldn't fix it. I couldn't help, I couldn't help him. Yeah. Uh, Because he realized that he's no longer able to have his own biological children. So that's a big one. I said to my son, I said, you are special because you are female and a male. God is not a female or a male. He's everything in one. And I said, you are privileged to have the same feeling that God has.
1: That was Rita Nicola, who wrestled with having the person who she thought was her daughter become her son. Next up, we hear from a mom who wrestled with having the person who she thought was her son become her daughter. But first, a note on names and pronouns. They are messy. In Rita's story, by request, we only use the name Jamie and not Jamie's birth name. But we kind of go back and forth between he and she. In this next story, we try to use the name and pronoun that corresponds to where we are chronologically, which gets a little messy. But the messiness is meaningful. It is a part of these stories, and of the fact that maybe we have to get a little messy in our words and in our minds in order to disrupt our narrow views of gender and build new ones that accommodate everyone, including people who are gender fluid and don't permanently identify with one gender. And with that, over to Catherine Hyde in Baltimore, Maryland.
2: I was a tomboy, but I was stuffed into a dress every Sunday, and I bonded with my dad over baseball. It was my favorite thing on earth to do. So I always wanted a boy. I wanted someone to play baseball with.
1: So Catherine was thrilled when her only child was, in fact, a boy. She and her husband John named him William William. But it didn't take long for them to notice that he wasn't quite what they considered to be a normal
2: boy. It was around age three where he wanted everything pink and sparkly. And he would be, you know, running around in a tutu and playing with scarves. He would put scarves or towels on his head and said, do you like my hair? Do you like my hair? Will's obvious preference for all things girl and sparkly just made us so uncomfortable. We didn't allow it. We were removing the Barbie dolls from his possession. And Will said to me at that time, But mommy, something went wrong in your belly. I was supposed to be a girl. I think I said something like, You're a boy. You don't get to choose that. That's not something you get to choose. It is what it is. And Will just looked up at me at the age of six, Mommy. I'm going to get a real gun and kill myself. And I said something like, oh, that's nonsense. Go to your room. And I sat down on the top of the stairs and I thought, what have we done? How is it possible that I didn't even know a six-year-old could ideate about suicide, much less think about it as an option to their pain? You know, John and I considered ourselves some of the most laid-back, easygoing parents out there about everything except that gender thing. That was the only place we drew the line. I felt like I was doing the right thing. I felt like I wanted my child to fit in. And I felt like all of his choices were not fitting in. They were really sticking out. So by the age of 15, we had this we had this very angry child. Will never wanted to eat dinner with us, never wanted to go out with us. And John and we couldn't figure out why our child hated us, hated us. I went into Will's room once and I found a family picture where Will had taken a push pin and pushed out John's and mine eyes. Catherine didn't make
1: a connection between their rejection of Will's feminine tendencies and Will's rejection of them. She also didn't make a connection between her having been a tomboy and Will's basically being the same thing, but with the gender reversed. Tomboy is an ostensibly neutral word for girls who act like boys in a stereotypical sense. We don't really have a neutral word or even a neutral idea for boys who act like girls. For Catherine, being a tomboy was a source of pride. And to her, it was completely different for her parents to let her play with boys' toys than for her to let Will play with girls' toys. Still, she did have a sense that by suppressing Will's desire to prance around the house in pink and sparkles, she was suppressing an essential part of him.
2: I somehow felt like I was taking the paintbrush out of Picasso's hand. By not letting my child have, be, do the pink and sparkly thing, that I was taking an important piece of who she is and her creativity away. But I still did it. I said, you know what, as a coming of age, let's move your bedroom into the basement. And I give up on the blue-green only restrictions. Let's decorate that basement any way you wanna decorate it. Well, it turned into the pinkest, pom-pommiest basement (laughs) in Maryland. You know, the walls were the colors of a Victoria's Secret bag. There's pom-poms hanging from the ceiling around the bed. There was beads hanging from the ceiling in the area that marked off the closet. There was Hello Kitty liberally dispersed across the bedroom. There was a mirror with a pink boa wrapped around it. (laughs) It was a girl cave to beat all girl caves. And during the painting fest, Will was so excited and so thrilled to be getting some kind of acceptance from me. That Will said, you know, Mom, I think I have the best of both worlds. I'm a girl on the inside and a guy on the outside. (laughs) and i said in anger you can be as gay as you want but if you go trans on me it's on your own time your own money and out of my house was in the car and I'm listening to This American Life with Ira Glass and he was doing a show about transgender children and on this show they were talking to a family whose six-year-old child was identified male at birth but this child knew herself to be female and what she said was something just went wrong in my mommy's belly I was supposed to be a girl. And, you know, of course, I I heard my child's words. And then they, they talked to a doctor who's based in Canada who doesn't believe you should support children this way. He believes you should essentially do what we had done with our kid, and that is insist that your child socialize and learn how to be in the gender of their birth. And this other side was talking about how gender identity is something inherent But for these special kids, if you support them and allow them to express in the gender they know themselves to be, that they're happy. And I sat there in my car and I thought, my kid's not happy. I stole a happy childhood from my kid. So this gave me this incredible seismic shift in my head from this previous notion of dirty, perverted, back alley, never gonna be happy, no one will love you, to happy, well-adjusted, functional adult. At some point I was ready to talk to Whitney and I called her up from the girl cave. And I said, um, I slammed the door on you being trans pretty hard a month ago. And I said, well, I've heard about these things called puberty blockers, and if you want them, I commit to you, I will get them for you. And they'll pause time, and we can figure this out as a family. Are you interested? And she said, no, can I go back downstairs? And I said, yes. And I was congratulating myself for dodging that bullet and patting myself on the back for being such a great mom for even asking. And two hours later, she came upstairs and said, Mommy, I want those things that pause time. She had spent those two hours, she didn't tell me this for years, but she'd spent those two hours in bed thinking, is this a setup? Am I going to get slammed down again? Or is this a real opportunity for me to move forward? And she decided if it's a setup, she's no worse off. She's just going to get yelled at again. If it's not a setup, it could be a key to what she really wanted.
1: And how did you feel when she came back and said she wanted the puberty block?
2: You know, actually, I think I felt a little relieved. It explained so much. After that
1: conversation, Catherine dove into the transgender space. She joined PFLAG, a national organization supporting the families and friends of LGBTQ people. She organized a family trip to a transgender conference in Seattle to mark her and John's transition to embracing Will as a transgender woman. And then, for Will's 17th birthday, Catherine took her to a special kind of show she knew Will would love.
2: The woman who did the fourth number also did this MC at the end of the show where she called up people who were getting married or having a birthday. And she asked anyone who's having a birthday. Well, Will popped right up there. She took a look at what Will was wearing, which was a real short pink skirt and a real low-cut pink top. And She said, what's your name? And Will said, William. And she almost fell over, I swear. She sat back. She looked Will up and down and said into the microphone, where is your mother and what is she doing letting you out of the house like that? Of course, I'm in the audience. I'm taking pictures, Right.
1: I'm I'm taking pictures (laughs) that's what she's doing she's in the audience taking pictures so
2: I just kind of Will pointed at me and I smiled over my camera (laughs) and waved at her (laughs) and Will said I want to be a drag queen into the microphone yeah he told she Will told the drag queen I want to be a drag queen they invited Will to do a number And she had decided on Whitney for her female name. So they introduced her as Whitney Gucci Goo. And she came out and did a Gaga number. I think it was Love Game. And she earned $52 (laughs) in tips in three minutes. Oh, wow. But the thing is, I sat there at that table watching my kid perform. And I saw, for the first time in what, 14 years? I saw my happy baby again.
1: So Catherine had been onto something when she felt like she was taking the paintbrush out of Picasso's hand. Dancing in feminine flair really was an essential part of Whitney. And now, of who she wanted to be.
2: We went to Thailand for Whitney's top surgery and we were Skyping with John from there. And when Whitney got the bandages off, she pulled up her shirt. She said, look at my tits, Daddy. She showed them to your husband? She tried to. And he was like, put that down, put that down, put that down. (laughs) Uh, What I love about that is that she wanted to show off something she was so happy with to her daddy. And her daddy responded exactly like he would to his daughter doing that. Of
1: course, yeah.
2: You but know, but
1: but Whitney was not almost not responding the way she would kind of stereotypically to her dad. Does she relate to her breasts differently than
2: other women? Absolutely, because she, because hers are a prize that she had. To, <sighs> yeah, you know they weren't
1: something that came naturally. Whitney doesn't take her breasts or her womanhood as a given, but her dad almost does. He has so fully absorbed the reality that Whitney is a woman that he panicked when she showed him her breast implants, and he gets upset when her boyfriend doesn't open the door for her. On the one hand, what an incredible leap he's made from truly believing he had a son to truly believing he has a daughter. But on the other hand, in making this leap, is he reifying gender stereotypes? Catherine can see
2: that she is. I have to admit that I'm one of those people who parents a boy differently than I parent a girl. I'm softer and more gentle with a girl than I was with a boy. I'll say baby and sweetheart and honey. Um, I'm far more aware of and sensitive to her feelings. I'm far more worried about her being hurt. You know, I had the sex education talk, once with my son and once with my daughter. And with my son, I said, don't you hurt anybody. And with my daughter, I said, don't you let anybody hurt you.
1: We'll be back to Catherine in a sec, but a quick interlude to ask. Have you noticed how the audio quality on my guest side of the conversation is oftentimes not very good? like uh in this episode that's because good audio quality costs money and money comes from having an ever bigger and more enthusiastic audience so please love up on reckonings on facebook at facebook.com reckonings on twitter at steph lep on itunes super big thumbs up for itunes reviews And then you can kick back, relax, and in time, enjoy better audio quality on the show. So if learning about transgender people on This American Life was so transformative for you, why hadn't you done any research
2: before? I have no idea. I have no idea. Maybe I was too afraid.
1: You just really did not want your child to be transgender.
2: No, I did not want my child to be transgender. I'll be honest. I did not want people telling me that God doesn't love my child. I did not want to feel like I can't vacation in North Carolina anymore because they'll card my kid cuz she's 23 now and she's never changed her license. And the moment they card her to have a drink with her family at a restaurant, she can't use the bathroom. I don't you know, I I don't want to be a part of that. I don't. I don't want um, people telling me that this is somehow my liberal agenda that I wanted to make my boy a girl. Yeah. And I don't want my kid to have, you know, twenty-five times more likelihood of committing suicide. I don't want any of that. Being the mom of the drag queen. It's like I didn't want to be a mom of a trans kid. I didn't want to be the drag queen mom either. I just thought, you want to be in the single most ridiculed, denigrated subset of a subset of a subset. But I've gotten to the point where I'm really proud of my kid and how comfortable she is in her skin and what a fine performer she is. I'm also very proud to be the mom of a drag queen because... (laughs) It says that I'm okay with different. And that's been an incredible journey, considering how hard I fought to have my child not be different. My child taught me unconditional love. That's the gift Whitney gave me. When she stayed with us at 15 and let us make this journey as a family and and waited for her dad and me to figure it out, to come along, she taught me what it's like to love somebody even if they don't understand you but to just love them and that's something parents are supposed to give their children and we didn't give that to our child but she gave that to us we as a community have to make it possible that society doesn't hold up our children as freaks or perverts or you know unloved by God, but holds up our children as part of God's immense creativity or nature's incredible diversity. One of my absolute favorites is when she does the number for Frozen, let it go. She comes out in a blue gown. She has a wig that is braided around the front like Ilsa wore hers. And she'll come out as the music starts, and she'll start the number, and she'll get to a point where it's called the reveal, where she'll take off the blue outer garment, which is a robe-like thing. And underneath, she'll be in a very sparkly, silvery, or blue beaded outfit that doesn't cover very much. She had these magnificent cone tits that <laughs> were just so wild and wonderful. While Ilsa was growing up, they wouldn't allow her to be who she was. And they locked her away in a room and wouldn't let her express. And it wasn't until she was an adult that she could break out and just be who she was. Whitney never minded being different or being a girl. She wanted to celebrate that. We wanted to shut her down. And that wonderful line, let it go, let it go, the cold never bothered me anyway. Let it
1: go, let it go.
2: Can't hold it back anymore.
1: Just kidding. There is no way Reckonings could afford that license. At least, not yet. Today, Catherine Hyde is a leader within PFLAG. What was transformative for her was hearing the stories of other transgender people and their families, so now she shares her own, at conferences, in trainings, and of course where she heard it first, on the radio. I spoke to Katherine in North Carolina, a hotbed of transgender discrimination, which also happens to be where she and her husband vacation every year and where Whitney recently chose to join them for the first time in almost a decade. Whitney is now the youngest member of the regular cast at Perry's Drag Brunch in Washington, D.C. You can find her performance videos at facebook.com slash reckonings. Rita DeNicola sometimes goes to B-flag meetings, but the real activist in the family is Jamie. While in college, he co-founded Transmissions, Rutgers University's first ever transgender student organization. Today, he's in law school and an intern at the ACLU working on transgender rights. A shout out to PFLAG Princeton for the connection to Rita, to Gender Spectrum for the connection to Catherine, and to the musicians featured in this episode, Chris Peck, Brack Oksu, David Sestoy, Tan and Rob Voigt, All tracks are linked on Reckonings.show And speaking of motherhood and transformation if all goes well within the next week or so I am about to become a mom so you won't hear from me for a little bit but in the meantime you can catch up on any episodes you missed including joint episodes with Inquiring Minds and Love and Radio at Reckonings.show slash episodes and uh you know Hop on those iTunes reviews. I'm Stephanie Lepp, and thank you for listening to Reckonings. Well, as a podcast producer, I have to say I love that it was a radio story (laughs) that moved you. That is just thrilling. I
2: actually got to meet Ira Glass, and I told him. Oh, really? Oh, wow. He saved my family's life. He was like, wow, that is heavy.